for those of you I haven't had the opportunity to meet, uh, my name is Aaron, and I oversee our recovery ministry here at Cedar Point Church, along with my wife, Janelle, um, and our, our good friends, Jill and Caleb Spryder. And so I get the fun part. I get to stand on platform and, and preach and to do all that. Those three, they really just prop up everything else. And so I don't know if you've seen The Wizard of Oz. I'm like the floating head, and then there's all these people doing a lot of hard work in the background um, that make me look good. But uh, I am just grateful for what I get to do. Um, I do want to take a moment. I want to just honor Pastor Rick, even in his absence. Um, he's been an incredible friend to me, um, an incredible pastor. Um, and more than that, he's been an incredible mentor. And so as I've come here to this, this place, um, he's helped just foster things in me and bring me to a place that, that I never uh, would have gotten to on my own and in a place that I never thought I would be. And so this, this morning, it really is just a full circle moment for me. I came to Cedar Point Church about 10 years ago, and I can tell you I was not hired on as a staff member 10 years ago. <laughs> I was in a very dark, very broken place, and, uh, and so I never in a million years, me or, or anybody who knew me then, my family, um, would have guessed that in 10 years' time that I would have the opportunity to stand on this platform on a Sunday morning bringing God's word. Man, isn't God good? And so... But you see, the vision of Cedar Point Church, we hear this frequently, and I think uh, if we're not careful, it becomes white noise, is that it's a story-changing place. Uh, we say that frequently, and, and we say it, one, because it sounds good, but two, because it's true. And so we, we here at Cedar Point, we wanted to introduce people to Jesus so their story can be changed. I'm like the poster child for that. I'm, I'm a testimony, a testament to God's goodness and to the vision of Cedar Point. And as we continue our series today, reaching people where they are, Again, that's a, that's a testimony to the heart, the soul, the vision of Cedar Point Church and what um, God has given Pastor Rick here and said, I don't, I don't, look, I don't look like your, your typical pastor, especially when it comes to my past. Um, I know nowadays I meet people and they hear things about me and, and they can't believe it. Um, but I do want to start off today um, just sharing a little bit about me for those of you who have only seen me on a Sunday morning and, and haven't had just the, the un- not, not, anyway, I won't go there. Um, but so I was raised, uh, I was raised not too far from here. I'm a middle child of five and uh, just kind of your typical um, Oklahoma family. We were a Christian in a sense that, you know, you, you live in Oklahoma, you know God, especially if you were raised in the 80s or 90s. That was just a part of your story here. Um, but I never knew God. We weren't a church going family on a regular basis unless it was like death or disaster, Easter or Christmas. Those were the times to go to church or to pray. Um, and I mean, nothing against my parents. It just, it just wasn't a part of our schedule. They weren't intentional about it. And I had good parents and, and they loved us immensely. Uh, something happened to me at a very young age though, that for the longest time I didn't share with anybody. And so from about the ages of eight to 11, um, I was the victim of sexual abuse. And uh, it was something I kept secret. Um, people in my family were completely unaware of it. And actually it wasn't until I was about 30 years old that, that I began to share that part of my story and a part of my life. But something Something in that moment began to change in me. One, I began to give in to just lies and deception from the enemy. Um, I didn't have anybody to journey with me. And, and I convinced myself that, that this instance, what had happened to me, declared the value of my life, which wasn't very much. Um, and, and it took away my purpose, that, that I must be dispensable. And because of that, for me personally, this wound that took place as I was a child, it led to, to anger, it led to depression, and it led to almost 18 years of alcohol and drug addiction for me personally. Um, as, a, as a teenager, I was arrested more times than 
can, I can even count. I, I can't even, I mean, a couple dozen. It was, it was ridiculous. Uh, there for a little bit, it was like every weekend, I got arrested um, for, for a very, various number of things. And, and that was my past. And then as an adult, um, I gave up drugs for just full-blown alcoholism. And, and I was a back, blackout drunk for almost 10 years of my life trying to raise kids. And even when I first started coming to this church, my first experience here at Cedar Point, I was actually coming up off an all-night bender. I dropped off a buddy of mine to do community service as the church was expanding into the old worship center at the time. And I remember uh, Jamie Brace, I don't think I've ever told her this or that she probably remembers. She actually invited me to stay that day um, to which I threw up deuces and said, now I'm out. Um, and, just, and I never thought I would come back here and that was it. Um, and then, then things happened and I started getting nudged and encouraged to be here and I started wanting something different and I didn't know what, what it was and I, I tried other churches and, and I would run into walls and I would run into stigma um, and I wouldn't feel welcomed. I wouldn't feel um, that I was getting the things that I needed and, and it was just, it wasn't good for me. At least it didn't feel that way. I, I felt worse sometimes going until one day I showed up here and, and things were different. And, and I was met with the love of Christ. I was met with the love of some of you people in this room that, that helped uh, show me a better way and, and the strengthen and encourage um, who, who you knew that I could be through God and, and for my story just to be changed. And so today, as we continue our series, Reaching People Where They Are, what I wanna talk about is the hurting, the broken, and the lost. And I wanna talk about the hurting, the broken, and the lost because that was me. When I first stepped through these doors, that was me. When, when we have that title, reaching people where they are, that's not white noise to me. That's my life. That because people here were invested in that vision of being a story-changing place, that I'm no longer stuck in addiction because people helped encourage me to a place where I encountered Jesus and my story was changed. And so when we talk about these things, that, that's, this is me. This is, this is what I'm about. This is what God's called me to, and it's what God has called each of us to as we continue just to buy into the plan and the vision of this, to go in uncomfortable places and reaching people that are hurting and broken and lost. So who are they? The hurting are those who carry around some kind of wound. And so when we talk about hurting people, it can be, it can be anybody. I mean, I don't know about you, but, but life is difficult. Maybe your story's different than mine, but I wager at some point you face incredible pain. That, that something's gone on in your life that, that left you with a wound, that left you questioning maybe the very existence of God or at least if there's a God that loves you. And so here at Cedar Point, and Cedar Point Recovery, we're called to reach those people that are hurting. We're here to reach the broken. The broken are those who, who can no longer cope, that the wounds have become too much to bear. And because of that, it manifests itself in, in numerous ways. Maybe it's addiction. Maybe it's abuse, maybe it's an, an anger that's uncontrollable, but they become so broken because of this world, because of what they faced, that they no longer know what to do moving forward. We're called to reach them. And maybe it's just the lost. I was so lost, so far from God, even in a place in the middle of the country, in the middle of the Bible Belt, where I had every opportunity to know Jesus. I knew of him, but I didn't know him. I had heard of him, but I had no relationship with him, and I was so lost. And so when we talk about the hurting, the broken, and lost, we're called to reach those who are far from God. And I want you to notice something. I didn't say addict in any of what we're called to reach. 
that when we talk about the hurting, the broken and lost, when I talk about recovery, one of the things that I face so frequently is that's not for me, I'm not a drug addict. Good. I mean, I'm, I'm really happy that that's not your story. That's not what we're about on, on Monday night. That's not what we're about on Sunday. That, that, that's a surface level issue. That when we talk about what we're called to do, we're called to reach those who, who have those wounds, who don't know what to do next, and are far from God. We don't run an AA meeting. I don't run an NA meeting. We run a discipleship program where we want to introduce people to Jesus because that's what happened to me. And we want their stories to be changed because that's what happened to me. That's what happened to many of you. And so we're here to reach the hurting, the broken and lost. Recovery is not about addiction. Again, it's about discipleship. It's not a program. It's a church service. It's a not, not a room full of felons. It's a room full of people seeking something better, searching for answers that only God can give them. And so it's a family where people are open, where people are honest about where they come from, about what they're going through, and where they want to be about where they're going. And so today, today I'm going to tackle three questions. And as I tackle these, there's two things. I want to challenge you to push aside everything you think you know about what we do on Monday nights, everything that you think you know about those who suffer an addiction or anything else, push aside what you think you know about what you may need and about where you're at and about what God may have for you and begin to open your eyes and your heart just to the Holy Spirit and allow him to do a work in you. And so tonight as we start, or today, um, I wanna start with this question, what is recovery? And so when we talk about recovery again, so often, man, I invite and I encourage people to attend, to be a part of it. And sometimes it's because I see something going on in their life. And maybe they're struggling in their marriage or, or I can just tell that something's off. And, and nine times out of 10, if somebody's gonna tell me they're not gonna be there, I get this response, eh, I don't need recovery, I'm not a drug addict. Like, I don't have an addiction problem. And so when we talk about this, that's not what it's about. It's the church service. And so if this is a hospital for broken people, Monday's the ICU. Monday is the place where we come for healing, where we come to seek purpose, where we come to seek an encounter with God so that he can change things about us that we can't change on our own. And so as we start today, I wanna start in Mark. Mark chapter two, and we're gonna start in verse one. And here I wanna share a story with you that many of you are probably familiar with, especially if you've been in church in any amount of time. And it's about an encounter that, that five men had with Jesus, one in an incredibly broken place. And so in Mark, Mark chapter two, starting in verse one, it says this, when Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men, say four men. Four men, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. And so what's taking place is, is Jesus has been ministering. He's gained popularity. People know who he is. He returns to Capernaum and he begins to teach in this house. It begins to feel standing room only, spilling out to the streets. What an incredible picture of ministry taking place. But there's one man off in the distance who's in very much need of an encounter with Jesus. He's far away. He's unable to get there on his own. Lucky for him, he had four incredibly good friends who was willing to carry this man to the place where Jesus is at. So as they arrive, they show up, 
I imagine they're hoping to walk right up to Jesus. That's not possible. The easy way is blocked. And so what do the guys do? It says they couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So they gave up and said, man, sorry, you're on your own. They left him out in the street, said, man, better luck next time, bro. No. These four men had a love for their friend. They recognized his need. And so they did something unexpected. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Can't imagine what the crowd in that house must have thought (laughs) as this guy's lowered down in the middle of what's going on. How dare they interrupt Jesus? But these four men knew that their friend needed something, needed help, and he needed them to get him there. And so I believe that that one of the greatest lies that we've fallen victim to in today's culture is that independence is a good thing. That, That especially as men, that we should do it alone. I know for me, it's so easy to want to stuff things down deep inside when I struggle. The things that I struggled with as a child, I didn't share with my family or or basically anyone else until I was 30 years old. That I carried a wound for 22 years because how dare I need anybody to help me to heal and help me to grow. That, That as women, you guys have fallen victim to independent woman is a good thing. I'm so grateful that my wife needs me. And you know what? I guarantee you she's grateful that I need her just as much, that we're called together to encourage each other, to lift each other up. And when we come here on a Sunday morning or a Monday morning, if you're attending students on a Wednesday or young adults on a Thursday, that as they come together, as they do those things, it's so that we can find people to strengthen us, to encourage us, and to carry us, if that's what we need, to the feet of Jesus. In verse five, it says this, seeing their faith, say their faith. faith. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man. Not, Not just the faith of the paralyzed man, that was the man in need. But even in this moment, Jesus recognized the faith of five. There was four men there and their faith, their presence made such a difference that Jesus said seeing their faith. I don't think that's there by accident. That, that when we read God's word, I don't think there's a single syllable that's there by accident. And so seeing their faith, God said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. And later, Jesus heals this man and he's able to walk from that room because he had people to love him and people to journey with him. Could he have gotten there on his own? Maybe. Possibly, he could have crawled, could have fought, could have said, I don't need you guys. I'm an independent man. I can get to Jesus on my own. I can heal my marriage on my own. I can overcome addiction on my own. I can get through this loss of a loved one on my own. This struggle, I've got it. I'm independent, I'm strong. Or we can recognize the fact that we're called to journey together. We're called to journey together, seeing their faith. Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. Matthew 18 and 20, it says, for where two or three are gathered together as my followers, I am there among them. That 
our faith as we come together, the presence of people coming alongside of us, it makes a difference. It matters. And point number one is this. Recovery is a place where we journey together. Recovery is a place where we find support, where we find friends that carry us. It has nothing to do with addiction. It has something and everything to do with finding a brother or a sister who has your back, that helps you to navigate the dark times, that helps you to overcome the struggles, to push back against the lies, to speak truth and to speak life so that you can succeed no matter what you're facing. No matter what you're facing, recovery is a place where we journey together. Galatians 6.1 says this, dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by sin, you who are godly should forget they exist. Ghost them on Messenger, block them on Facebook. Man, their troubles are too much for you. Just forget about it. No, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. It's hard. It's hard. We either need four friends to carry us or we need to be one of the four friends carrying the people in our circle. And so you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation. Galatians 6.2 says, share each other's burdens. Share each other's burdens. Lift each other up. Journey together. Share each other's burdens. And in this way, obey the law of Christ. And lastly, this last part challenges me at times. But in verse three, it says, if you think you are too important to help somebody, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. Cuts deep, doesn't it? When you think about the people that you've passed by, you didn't have time for, maybe loved ones in your family, people struggling. And you said, ah, I'm really busy today. I've got my own problems, my own worries, my own struggles. But if you think you are too important to help somebody else, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. Recovery is the place you go to for support. It's the place where you go to for a friend. It's a place that you go to for somebody to have your back. It's not a meeting. It's the church. It's the family. Recovery is not a ministry at Cedar Point. It is Cedar Point. And the same people that you find here on a Sunday morning, they journey over there too. The same type of people, the same type of thing, the same mission, the same things are taking place on a Monday because we're meant to journey together no matter what day of the week it is. And so recovery, again, is where we journey together. So who is recovery for? Again, this, I get so sick of explaining this one. I'm just gonna be real blunt. That, so I hope everybody in the room gets it. Um, but it's one of those things, time and time again, like I said earlier, I invite people and I encourage people to be a part of what we're doing because I know this, they can find something to help them from God. And their answer time and time again is, I don't have an addiction. I don't have an addiction. I don't need help. I'm good. So who is recovery for? Who is recovery for? And so I'm going to share some statistics with you. And I'm going to start, as much as I've harped on addiction this morning, um, I'm going to start with some statistics on addiction. And so 
And I want to share this. Recovery is not just about addiction. It's about conditions of the heart. And so when we talk about who it's for, again, it's about those who, who've been wounded, who've been hurt, who've been broken, who are far from God, who've given into lies or bought into some type of stronghold, and they need help coping. They need help journeying. That's every single one of us. And so it's about anything that keeps us from experiencing all that God has for us. And so 37.3 million people aged 12 or older in the United States, that's 13.6%, are current users of some kind of illicit drug. I think we'd all agree that that's a staggering number, right? 13.6% of 12 or older. Continues, 59.3 million, that's 21.4% of people over the age of 12 have used an illicit drug in the past year. I get it, man. That's, that's a problem. That's something that when I hear those numbers, man, my heart aches. I'm like, man, we need, we need to do something about that. 14.5% of the U.S. population or 40.3 million of over the age of 12 have a substance abuse disorder. And I get it, man. We hear those numbers and we're like, that's the problem. That's what we need to fix. We need to save all the drug addicts out there. We need to save them. I'm going to share some other numbers with you. An average of 24 people a minute are victims of rape, physical violence, or stalking by an intimate partner in the United States. More than 12 million men and women in the course of a year. And those 12 million people, they become hurting, broken, and lost. That number is far greater than those who use because drug addiction is a symptom of a greater deep-seated cause in our country, in our community, and in our church that drives people away from the plan and the purpose of God. 12 million people a year. I was one of those. And when people saw me, they saw Aaron the drug addict because I didn't share what had gone on in my life. And so I carried this wound And it manifested itself as addiction. And people said, that's your problem. Just quit getting high. Quit getting drunk. Quit being this way. And the issue was far, far deadlier than any substance abuse disorder could ever be. Only 36% of Americans say their faith has given them hope. Think about that. One third of Americans find hope in their faith. Hopelessness is devastating. Hopelessness leads to far more than just addiction. And so when we talk about who recovery is for, it's for the hopeless. It's for those who are far from God. One third, 36% find their faith has given them no hope. During August 2020 to February 2021, the percentage of adults with symptoms of anxiety or depressive disorder increased from 36.4% to 41.5. And we want to focus all of our time, all of our energy on addiction. When there's something far greater plaguing our communities and our homes and our families, and quite frankly, us. The percentage of adults reporting suicide thoughts, 4.3%. And in the United States, this one gets me, 
50% of married couples into divorce. This is why our recovery ministry does not focus on addiction because there's something far greater going on. And maybe you're saying, yeah, 50%, that's pretty high, but surely we do better in the church, right? 51% of Protestant Christian couples into divorce. The secular world is doing better than we are about keeping our marriages together and keeping us strong. Thank you, sir. And so when we talk about recovery, it's about coming together. It's about finding healing and purpose and experiencing God in incredible ways. And so people far too often go through things like this alone, and it leads to that destructive behavior, the things that we focus on. But you might be in this room right now, struggling in, very, in one of these things, not telling anybody about the struggles in your marriage, your struggles with depression, and recovery is that place where we journey together. And so everyone has areas of their life, past and present, that they need to learn from, that they need to navigate and heal from, and recovery is that place where we can find freedom and success over the things that are holding us back. And so I want to share with you out of Mark again. It's a little further down, um, same chapter, Mark 2, but we're going to start in verse 13. And I want to share with you the story of Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector. Um, if you've been here or church very long, you, you know some things about tax collectors, but I want to share anyways. Tax collectors, <laughs> tax collectors, they weren't great people. And so in Jesus' time, the Romans had conquered Jerusalem and, and, and the Jewish nation, and they needed to collect money to further keep their boot on the neck of the people, right? Wars, occupation, it's expensive. And so the Romans would get Jews to betray their people to do that very thing. And so when we talk about a tax collector, when we talk about Matthew being a tax collector, he was a traitor to his people, to his country, and to his God. I don't know about you, but those type of people don't, they don't strike strings in my heart that, that make me want to love them and be around them. And to further complicate matters, they were wealthy because they robbed the people they collected taxes from. If the Romans said you owed this much, Matthew said you owed this much so he could put some money in his pocket. I imagine he wasn't very liked. And even though we don't know a lot about Matthew's story early on, I can't help but wonder what he'd been through at a younger age. Was he hurting? Was he broken and lost? People don't wake up one day and say, I want to alienate everyone in my community and everyone in my family. I want to betray my faith. I want to be hated and despised. I hope no one ever invites me to a family function again. But, but here we have Matthew. He's a tax collector. And Jesus sees him. And this is his response. In verse 13, it says, Then Jesus went out to the lake shore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, who's Matthew, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. And Jesus is like, don't look at Matthew. Don't look that way. I hope he doesn't notice us. No. Matthew saw him sitting there. And he said, follow me. Say, follow me. Follow me. He said, follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. Apparently, Jesus didn't realize what a dirtbag Matthew was, didn't realize how broken he was, didn't realize, man, how much he'd hurt his community, hurt the people around him, how much he'd stolen and robbed to indulge himself. 
But Jesus, he said, follow me, be my disciple. It goes on in verse 15, it says, later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable, say disreputable, other disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus's followers. But when the teachers of religious law, who were the Pharisees, saw him eating with the tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? Why does he eat with such people, such disreputable sinners? It picks up in verse 17, and it said, when Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. And when we read that last part, I like that, those who think they are righteous, those who think they're too good, those who think they're on the outside and, and not with the rest of us broken. Jesus didn't come to call those who think they're righteous, but know those who know they're sinners. And, and when I read this account of Matthew, it's far too easy for me to realize that, that I'm a disreputable sinner. That, that when I read this story, I can't help but see myself as Matthew because I remember a time when I would go to my family functions and people would lock away their valuables. That they would, they would wish that I wasn't there, that they would have to hide things. You know why? I would rob them. That I was so far from God I was so broken, so hurting, so lost that I found myself on the outskirts of family, of relationships, of community. And so when I read this, it resonates in my heart because as Jesus called Matthew, I very much know that that resembles the day that Jesus called me. And the, Jesus, the day that Jesus said, Aaron, you may not love yourself, but I love you, Aaron. You may think that you have no place here, but you do. <clears throat> and Jesus called me. And when he called me, I said, Jesus, come inside, journey with me, eat with me, commune with me. And because of that, my story was changed. And so far too often we read this though. And if we're not careful, we think that we're one of the ones on the outside of the table saying, Way to go, Jesus. Get those dirt bags, man. Get that, that drug addict. Yeah, save them. Eat with them. And the truth of the matter is, if we're, being, if we're being honest, we're all those disreputable sinners. That, that my life may have made it abundantly clear where my place was. But maybe there's secret, hidden things in your life. Things that, that you think that nobody knows about. Things that you've done things that you go through and you need to wake up and realize that you are one of the ones that needs to sit at this table with Matthew and the other disreputable sinners allowing Jesus to pour out his love and his grace and his mercy so you can be saved. And so point number two today is recovery is for the hurting, the broken, and the lost. It's for the hurting, the broken, and the lost. It's for the disreputable sinners. It's for those who are far from God. It's for those who need a touch of grace. 
those who need to encounter Jesus in a significant way so their eyes can be open to his plan and to his purpose. Recovery is about realizing that we're all broken and that we all need Jesus. Romans 3.23 tells us, for we all fall short of God's glorious standard. That's you. 1 John 1.8 says, if we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. That if you read Matthew and you find yourself in the position outside of that room, not seated at the dinner table, I don't believe you're reading it right. Because we all have a need for Jesus. We all have a need for his grace and his mercy. We all need to awaken to the call of come follow me. Be my disciple. And that's what recovery is about. It's for the hurting, the broken, and loss. Jesus didn't eat with sinners and tax collectors because he wanted to appear inclusive or tolerant and accepting. He ate with them to call them to a changed and fruitful life, to die to self and to live for him. His call is transformation of life, not affirmation of identity. That's what recovery is about. It's about reaching the hurting, the broken, and lost so we can show them that there's a better way, that they need to give up these things, they need to pick up their cross, and they need to follow Jesus. So recovery for the hurting, the broken, and lost, that's what it's all about. And what's our goal? I want to end on that. What is recovery's goal? If, if it's the journey together, if it's for the hurting, the broken, and lost, what are you trying to do there? What is your goal? And so as I stated early on, Recovery is the church. It's one and the same. It's real easy to put a wall of separation and think, I'm not one of those people that, that need to go on a Monday. I'm different. My life is different. I don't struggle like that. We all have struggles. And so recovery is the church. Recovery is not a ministry at Cedar Point. It is Cedar Point. We're one and the same. We attend the same life groups. We attend the same church services. We serve the same community. We serve the same God. We pursue the same things that everyone else in this room should be pursuing. And so if recovery is the church, if recovery is Cedar Point, then our mission and our vision is one and the same. We want to introduce people to a real relationship with Jesus. We want them to discover their gifts and their purpose so they can begin serving here. We want to get them connected to a life group. Because around here, we believe that if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And so our vision is to disciple people. We want to disciple people. Our goal and visions are the same, to disciple people. And so um, I want to share with you, I want to share with you out of Matthew. And so what's taking place here is Jesus has been crucified. He's been buried. He's been resurrected. He spent about 40 days with, with his disciples, with the people before the ascension. And so we're gonna talk about the Great Commission. It's Matthew 28, starting in verse 16. This is how the book of Matthew ends. The gospel of Matthew ends this way, so it must be incredibly important because it's like the final word. I don't know about you, but if I got something important, say I'm arguing with my wife, the final word is the most important as I walk out of the room, right? So Jesus is getting ready to walk out of the room. He's like, I'm done. I've done what I need to do. It's on you. So it's then the 11 disciples... And if you're wondering, why is it 11? Which you remember, Judas betrayed Jesus. He's no longer with the 12. The 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some of them doubted. 
It's incredible. I mean, they saw Jesus die, and they're still kind of on the fence and, and doubting. But then it continues. It said, Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, say therefore. Therefore, therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In my opinion, that was like a little bit of a Jesus flex. I mean, he's like, hey, listen, you know, I just conquered death. You know, I've been crucified, resurrected. You know, I fulfilled like 300 prophecies. You know, I've done all this. Therefore, it's your turn. I did the heavy lifting. I did the hard work. I freed, freed the world from its sin if they would have it. Therefore, go and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what this is about on Sunday morning. It's not so you can just feel good about yourself because you showed up to church service just to reach people so we can be a story-changing place. Monday is not so I can get up on a platform and preach to people. It's so we can reach people so we can be a story-changing place. So we can introduce people to Jesus. So we can baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Acts says it this way, and I love it. And so the book of Acts is uh, right after the gospel. You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then you've got Acts. It's the early church. And so as it's beginning, chapter 1, verse 8, it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. This is Pentecost is going to take place. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so that's the same, same time frame said a little bit differently that Jesus is saying, you're gonna do this. You're gonna proclaim my name to all these places. Now, Jesus was doing something. He was, he was stating something that's geographical to the people there. I've never been to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. I don't know about you. You may have. But this was a very real place to them. They'd been there. They, they, they knew the area. And, and for that, it was important, but, but to us, is Jesus saying, you've got to go to Jerusalem? No. He was painting this picture of, of Jerusalem being very personal, our city, right, our comfort zone, Judea, our state, Samaria, our country, or, or even beyond, overseas somewhere, just, just farther out, the ends of the earth. He was saying, start here in your sphere of influence and begin to expand out. But the important thing is that, that you reach people for my sake. And so... You will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And so when we look at that, the further out you get from your sphere of influence, the more uncomfortable it becomes. And so our final point this morning is this. Recovery's goal is to reach those beyond our comfort zone because that's what we're called to do. We weren't called to stop right here we're called to reach those that have messy lives, that have broken places. We're called to reach those where it's uncomfortable. And so that does not mean you've got to go overseas for a missions trip. That when we talk about this, when we talk about what we're called to do, I was that uncomfortable, messy person that nobody wanted to reach. I might have been somebody's Samaria. I might have been somebody's end of the earth, but somebody had to reach into my world, have uncomfortable conversations with me, and introduce me to Jesus Christ. And so when we talk about recovery, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about reaching those who are far from God, 
who are broken, who are messy. They might be violent. (laughs) It's crazy. But those are my people. Those are your people. Because we're the church. We're called to journey together. We're called to reach those people. And so through discipleship, through discipleship, we hope to orient people around God's truth. That's what it's about. It's about carrying out this mission, this plan, this purpose, and orienting their lives around God's truth to help them to open their eyes to lies, to deceptions, to break down strongholds so they can find freedom through the Holy Spirit so their stories can be changed. I want to share one last uh, it's a parable, uh, one last passage with you as we close this morning. And so um, as far as time frame goes, this, this took place about two days before Jesus was crucified. And he's sharing with his disciples. Um, I think it's incredibly important. You know, as, as you're coming to the end of your life, I think the things that you're sharing there, I don't know about you, I'd be ramping them up in importance. And so it says, but when, and it's 25 verse 31 is where we're going to start. Matthew 25 verse 31. It says, but when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will seat upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. And so here we have this picture of of a judgment, right? Jesus is calling all the nations, sheep on his right, goats on his left. It says, then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of this world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger. You invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. That Jesus, as he divides them, he says, come you who carried out the will of God. Our works don't save us, but as we're saved and encounter Jesus, they should reflect what he's done on the inside. That you can't separate your love from God and your love for people. And if you're always uncomfortable, too uncomfortable to help the naked, the hungry, the broken, the lost, the hurting, I wanna challenge you to begin to change the way you view them. And it says, then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick and in prison? And in verse 40, it says, and the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it for one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it for me. Recovery is about reaching into those uncomfortable places and If you're in here this morning, maybe you're one of the ones that need help, that you need somebody to journey with you. You've got broken places and you need to heal. Or maybe you're on the other side of it. And I wanna challenge you that the way that you love people should be a reflection of the way that you love Jesus. And the things that we do to the people outside of this room is a direct reflection of that. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, You are doing it to me. Jesus opens our eyes to the truth that the way that we treat people is a direct reflection of how we treat him. And there is no separation between loving God and loving people. And so I wanna ask you, will you be among the sheep? Will you be among the goats? Will you be among those who are willing to 
to reach into uncomfortable situations, to minister to the people in your sphere about their marriage, about the things that they're doing, to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to strengthen them, to encourage them, to journey with them. Will you be one of the ones that are indifferent, far too busy to help anybody, far too important to spend your time, your energy, seeing that just one more has the opportunity to be impacted, to be changed. That one more has the opportunity to be saved. And so I want us to do this. I want us to close our eyes and I want us to just begin to just spend a moment with God. And I want, I want you to ask him to reveal to you today one, is, is there a place in your life where there's a, a wound that's festered? Is there a place where you're far from him, far from his will, far from his purpose, where, where you need healing, where you need recovery, where you need ministered to? Or are you one of the ones that have maybe gotten to the other side, but you've, you've fallen guilty of feeling that you're far too important to help those around you?